As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Let's dive into today's conversation regarding life's myriad transitions and how we refine our responses in our relationships, our wellness, our households, our work, and in our practices. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. With me today is a dear friend, becoming more dear by the moment, Tracy Stanley. If you haven't met Tracy Stanley yet, she has two E's at the back of her name instead of a Y. She is one of the most prominent, I feel, teachers of our time. She and I get to co-teach this year. See how that goes. I'm so excited to call Tracy friend. You're the author of the best-selling book, Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. But today we're here for the second round on the Practice You podcast. If you haven't heard the first, definitely go back to that episode. We're here to talk about the forthcoming book, The Luminous Self, Sacred Yoga Practices and Rituals to Remember Who You Are. It's coming out in October of 2023 with Shambhala Publications. And you might be listening to this, our listener, and think, oh, Luminous Self, it sounds so good, you know. Where am I on that spectrum? I'm all the way at the back end of that spectrum. But really, the truth is, this book is a surprisingly candid look at what makes Tracy Stanley Tracy Stanley. She's one of the most powerful people that I have ever met. I have a little bit of a tear in my eye thinking about the opening story of this book right now that we're about to talk about it. It's really hard to read, and it's important to read. And um, I want to welcome you to the podcast and say thank you so much for visiting us a second time. Mm, thank you so much for having me, Elena. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. So your devotion is to sharing the wisdom of Yoga Nidra, of rest, of meditation, of self-inquiry, of nature as a teacher to us, and ancestor reverence. Um, you have the Empowered Life Circle, which is a beautiful portal of practices and rituals and teachings inspired by your more than two decades of study. Your website, just for our listener, if you want to look at it right now, is tracystanley.com. And if you go to it, T-R-A-C-E-E, Stanley, S-T-A-N-L-E-Y.com. Go have a look and visit with this beautiful face. For now, I want to start with the luminous self and go to the introduction I really am very sort of shaky uh, having read this and knowing you for as long as I know you, having read this opening story of reclaiming your power, uh, the journey of your transformation and the initial illustration, as you have in the book, of the egg that is cracking in the hand. And one would think, oh, what a beautiful illustration, so innocuous and wonderful. And chapter one is entitled, That Which Makes You Fall is That Which Makes You Rise. And we open up the book with you standing in your bathroom, somewhere in Los Angeles, naked, covered in egg yolk, banging on a drum, screaming and shouting at the top of your lungs. 
You had just cracked a raw egg over your head, and you'd never felt so powerful and fierce. And I'm picturing you staring at yourself in the mirror. I'm assuming you have got some, you know, teacher somewhere. This is some sort of ritual that I've just never heard of. But in fact, it's something very different. I would love for you to walk our listener into this very initiatory story of your childhood and what that moment in the mirror with the egg yolk all over you really did mean. Mm. Thank you for that question. Mm. So the egg represents so much. It represents a moment of transition for me where I transitioned from this very curious, nerdy, fun, unique little girl to someone who wanted to become invisible and to protect myself. And the story that I tell in the book is about how I was attacked on the school bus by a couple of girls that were much older than me. And they decided to smash eggs in my hair. And if the egg smashing wasn't enough, covered in egg yolk, I had to walk from the school bus to my homeroom. And when I did that, I decided to pretend that I was Cleopatra Mm. in order for me to make it there. And kind of not feel the story entirely. covered in shame, right? Because that's what the egg yolk represented was this shame, this humiliation. And I had never felt that humiliation before. I had never felt publicly shamed before. And I did, I made it to the bathroom. I kind of cleaned myself up as much as I could, went back to class And what happened from there was that I kind of stopped wearing my glasses. I stopped playing the clarinet and the violin. I stopped doing anything that made me special or unique. I started pulling out my hair obsessively. And I was really afraid to be seen. And so I just made myself really small. And over the course of years... I had heard this saying, that which makes you fall is that which makes you rise. And the first time I ever heard that was from the teacher, Sally Kempton. And then, of course, as I learned more about yogic philosophy, I started to see the same theme over and over again. And I did a few practices. Uh, One of the practices is a practice called Vichara, which is a practice of deliberation, where you trace something back so that you can discover the source of it. And many years ago, I had this moment of really being on the precipice of being super successful. And once I was in that place of being very successful in my field, which at the time I was producing films in Hollywood, I wanted to hide the success I didn't want people to know how successful I was. And I started to wonder, what is this fear of success? Fear, this success feels dangerous. Why does it feel dangerous? And when I went back and did this practice of deliberation, I arrived back to the moment of the eggs being smashed 
in my hair and on my head and all over me. Mm. And I said to myself, okay, I need to unwind this and I need to take back this symbolism of this egg and this moment. And that was how I arrived in my bathroom, smashing an egg over my own head and beating a drum and doing this self-initiation into my own power. Hmm. For all of the times and incidences of bullying that we've all experienced. Thank you. Hmm. I wonder if you could share with us a little bit about the sort of segue into this discussion of Sutra 1 number 36. Hmm. Sutra 136. Yeah. This was the sutra that brought me deeper into my yoga practice. Prior to reading this sutra, I had been practicing a lot of yoga asana that did not have any foundation beneath it. And one day I was going to uh, a yoga retreat and I decided to find a book on yoga and somehow the translation of the yoga sutras came forward at the Bodhi tree in LA and I picked it up, put it in my suitcase and brought it with me. And when I got to the sutra, sutra 136, which is Vishoka Vajotishmati, and it really talks about this place inside of us that is effulgent, that is beyond all sorrow, beyond all conditioning, that was there before we had a name and will be there when we no longer have a body. Hmm. And there was something about this idea of a place inside of me that resided at the heart that was beyond all sorrow that really caught me. The core essence, sort of who we are, as you talk about in the introduction on the Roman numeral 13 you share that we're responsible for remembering who we are. And the practices in this book, Luminous Self, are meant to bring devotion and consistency and inquiry and even curiosity to everything that we do. I really appreciated the choice of those four words. You've also sort of now welcomed us into this book by reminding ourselves to offer ourselves grace and to dive into these practices with this sutra at the ready. Of course, I was also attracted to this back in the day when we first started looking at the sutras in our studies, and it's that sparkling, sort of untouched, clear, pure lake. I always picture it as a clear lake inside of my heart. And it is, in fact, luminous, and it's so appropriate for this book. You remind us and invite us into this understanding as the core concept of the book, which I think is just tremendously helpful and was to me. As soon as I started to feel that, feel into that, I was all freed up to learn from you. And then you walk us into samskara. And you walk us into samskara in such a cool way. And this is really apt for where we live, you and me. But I wonder if our listener can identify with this. You talk about when you're driving really fast on a long trip on a highway and the bugs, particularly during the summer, come smashing against the windshield. Pull up to the gas station. Oh, I can't forget. 
I cannot forget to wash this windshield. I've got to wash this windshield. It's so dirty. And then you end up at the store, you buy some chocolate, a drink of water, you fill up the gas tank, you're suddenly worried about time, and you get back in the car. And this dirty windshield becomes a thing. And that is vasana. That sort of accrual of impressions. And I wonder if you could share with our listener a little bit about this process of washing the windshield once it's gotten really caked and dirty. Yeah, I feel like all of the yoga practices, all of the meditation practices are there to clear just one little spot on the windshield. And that's really all that you need. Because when you have that moment, and maybe some of the people who are listening can identify that maybe you've been in a meditation or in Shavasana, and suddenly a knowing descends out of nowhere. An epiphany descends out of nowhere. And it's a moment of clarity. That, to me, is the scraping of the windshield clean. But we don't get enough of those moments because the overculture really wants to keep us distracted, right? And in that distraction, which, as you mentioned, is the chocolate or the email or the thing that causes us to move away from being inwardly focused to being outwardly focused, then we kind of have to come back and we have to remember. So I really feel like this practice of scraping the windshield clean is really about a remembering that it's caked in the first place, Mm. right? right? Is that we're constantly seeing through the coloring of what's on our windscreen. And we forget that the coloring, if it stays on for too long, it just becomes concretized, right? And that concretization shows up as all the different habits that we just do unconsciously every day and the ways in which we think and habitually And the more that we don't check those habits and we don't remember that there's something before the habits, which is our true self, then those habits concretize into a personality. And we begin to really believe that we are our personality and that we are our thoughts. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Right. You offer us a way to use this book. And I want to read it to our listener before I go on on 136. Uh, because I think it's important for our listener to really hear this. First, we have uh, practices. Each chapter is supported by practices that connect to the theme the chapter explores. And it's a whole tapestry, as you say, ritual movement, meditation, rest practices, yoga nidra, purification practices, contemplation. And then we have see, sense, or trust. We all have different ways of experiencing life through our five senses. We're often guided in uh, various practices to imagine or visualize things. Your instruction diverges, and you call this see, feel, or trust during the practices because we're not all able to visualize. And there's nothing wrong with the practice if we don't, quote-unquote, see things. So see, sense, or trust is an important distinction. Self-inquiry. So I did the first self-inquiry practice in the book last night. Oh my goodness. Who am I and who am I not? 
Oh, I got so much clarity. I woke up this morning with like big tears, you know, those big bulbous tears in your eyes that you can't explain when you sit down for the first time in the morning. I got those today from this practice. And those are sort of threaded throughout the book. And I like how you implore us to remember Sri Ramana Maharshi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Such an important reminder because he really is the one who brought this to so many of us to trace, as you said, the origin of certain thoughts back to where they came from. Absolutely. Mm. Right. Yeah. Right. Thank you for naming him because I think it is really important for us to remember those who have devoted their lives to making sure that we have these tools. Right. That guy. You go on with rituals. I love how you remind us that we're constantly creating a ritual, you know, just because you go ahead and like make your tea in a certain way and place it in a certain way. That's definitely a ritual, but anything else that you do is a ritual. I was watching a, a stranger on my on a flight recently sitting next to me and he was just kind of throwing his food around and throwing his fork and throwing his pen and throwing his phone and there's just a lot of tossing of things and I was thinking, my God, so this guy's ritual is a lack of care for everything. Mm. And I had to, you know, stop myself from judging him, but I took some time to observe and find compassion. You know, my guess is that his body was treated with a, a lack of respect at some point in his life. And so that's why he feels like throwing everything is just fine. But as you say, ritual is the fascia that holds the center when it seems like everything else is falling apart. That's a quote from the book. A daily ritual is a cumulative practice that buoys and nourishes us on every level and is a powerful way to continue to weave the thread of practice through our lives. And you go on to say that ritual is our link to the unseen forces of healing. Yeah. I really thank you. Thank you, Element, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. We have been personally using Element for well over a year. Element is spelled L-M-N-T. Elemental electrolyte salts that have completely changed the game around my house. Every night before bed, James and I split a packet. Helps us sleep, helps us get good solid rest, and helps combat fatigue, muscle pain, fogginess, irritability even. Did you know that your cells need electrolytes for optimal function? And if you're struggling with any of those things, you might just be deficient in electrolytes. They facilitate hundreds of cellular functions in your body, including nerves, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance. Element contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No artificial anything in here, no sugar, no nothing. My favorite flavors, as I said, orange watermelon and the chocolate caramel in hot water is just incredible. Element comes in tiny single-serving packets you can carry with you wherever you go. They're great on planes as well. With my link, you get a free sample pack with any order so that you can try all the flavors. And that link is drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. The spelling is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash Elena. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Element. Again, the link, drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. For that. 
Yeah, those are concepts that came through during the pandemic. In the space of the liminal, of not knowing, of all the uncertainty, of things, like I said, seeming like they were going to fall apart, the fact that I had a practice, the fact that I had rituals, that was what was holding everything together. Mm. Yeah. You go on to talk about community care, suggestions for how to be a force for healing in your family and community are offered also throughout the book. And our own support, like asking for the support of our sangha, our community, our therapists, trusted friends, family. This is a really important reminder. It's not something that we are constantly thinking about. And, you know, if you have nothing on the calendar for yourself, it might be a good idea to put it on after listening to this episode. All right, so reclaiming your power, let's go back to 136. I think this is an important conversation. Every now and again, I'm reminded of some book in my bookshelf. When I read a newer book, I'm reminded of another older book. And I was reminded in reading your book of The Yogi's Roadmap. This is a book by Bhavani Sylvia Maki. And it's a woman's take on the sutras, but they're not in order. Oh, wow. It's really fun. Oh, oh I haven't God. had that. Yeah, I pulled out the nine obstacles for our thing. And anyway, she says, yoga is the language of internal response. Hmm. And I open the book straight to the page of 136. And on 135, she talks about this. And your book, The Luminous Self, is a way for us to really refine that internal response to anything. The book is sort of bringing us into the first chapter around what it means to look at ourselves and ask who we really are, what it means to address these feelings of the imposter syndrome, what it means to practice, as I did last night, who am I and who am I not, and write and record your voice and listen to your voice saying who you are and who you aren't. Tell us a little bit about this depth of self-inquiry and how this rose up in your life and at what point. Mm. I think that I would say at least a decade and a half ago, I was in a practice of asking, who am I? And what I started to come up with were a lot of labels and a lot of descriptions that felt like the covering. And when I started to share these inquiries with students that I was working with or people that I was working with, what I started to notice was the same thing. And so I thought, well, it's interesting because this question, who am I, was probably coming at a much simpler time, right? Before we had all these distractions. Not to say there weren't distractions, but there weren't distractions to the level of what we have now. And so I started to think about what is the question that I least want to ask myself in this moment? And I would write that question down and then I would spend time journaling about it. And something just started to shift within my own practice where these questions would just emerge. Like the question that I most need to ask in this moment and the question that I least really want to ask myself. And I started to write these questions down. And um, then several years later, I created a deck called The Empowered Life, 
oracle, which was a self-inquiry oracle, and I started to work with my own oracle. And I don't know really the answer to how these inquiry questions come, but they seem to come at the right time, in the right moment. And it's almost like a deep listening of what is the question that most needs to be asked in this moment that I'm able to ask myself and then also bring into my classes for people. So self-inquiry has become an integral part of my own practice and my own ritual. And I think the core of every question is really, who am I? But sometimes we need to layer it with more things because it's so hard to ask that question and to answer that question of who am I? Mm. Yeah, this was not easy for me, actually. And I'm at a sort of crossroads in my life where a lot of the who am I came out as the labels of my work. Mm -hmm. So interesting. And then the who am I not? Right started to sound like the exact same list. No, I'm not that. I'm not that either. I think getting older is such a blessing because it really helps to soften the blow when it feels like those lists are really hard to hear. Yeah. And it also, I feel like it prepares us for the impermanence, the inevitability of the title dissolving at some point. You know, I know for me, when I closed my yoga studio, I was able to see oh, how attached am I to this idea that I'm a studio owner, right? right? (laughs) And it feels like a part of me is dying, but there's no part of me that's dying. This is just a part of a label that I thought was part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's causing me pain. I'm fascinated by that. I mean, I had the same experience, basically. I remember owning that studio and letting it go. You have a, a practice called transforming personality that I think is going to be very helpful for a broad swath of our population who reads this book. The purification and dissolution of the elements within ourselves ignites transformation and expansion of consciousness, you write. The following practice is a simplified version of Laya Yoga practice that I learned many years ago, asks you, that asks you to explore the embodiment of negativity within you. This is big deals right here. Purifying our negative tendencies is how it starts. And without saying too much, I think the examples that you give are great. Seeing negative aspects of your personality that you would like to transform, things like jealousy, unforgivingness, judgment, dishonesty, manipulativeness, lack of boundaries, etc., You start this practice by intentionally pausing and taking a prayer for healing and wisdom. Three breaths. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. I was walking myself through it this morning after I meditated, and I was like, oh my God, this woman. The things that we take for granted. That's right. I can't. I'm so grateful. I'm so happy to read this. Like I'm so happy for all the people who begin to bring this tiny little ritual like if we had this little intentional pause of prayer for healing and wisdom if that was the whole book it would be worth the price of admission Mm. thank you thank you yes we go through mindful movement really thoughtful really well oriented we go through an intentional pause again free writing Mm -hmm. free writing on this experience and then self-inquiry 
Three different questions. How did you experience the practice dissolving your negative tendency? Was there sadness, attachment, resistance? Can you pinpoint a time when this negative tendency began? And then we go back to that timeline rewind practice that you start us off with. And then how does this tendency affect your relationships and overall contentment? Mm-hmm. So cool. Like, yeah, I can see places where I have a couple of negative tendencies still. I wrote them down today. That still are present in my relationship with James, who's like the biggest mensch in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has his own. Right. And we all do. Right. And that's, I think, part of the beauty of this practice is that it's not often that we get to sit with what our tendencies are that are not helpful, that are causing us pain and discomfort, and maybe really shifting our lives in a direction that we do not want to be going in. This was one of the first tantric practices that I was ever introduced to. I talk about in the notes that it's based on a practice called Papa Purusha, which is much more intense. So I tried to kind of soften this practice a little bit for the people who have never done a practice like this. And yes, it can be very revealing. You know, it's definitely revealing the first time you do it. And I think if people can dedicate and devote themselves to doing it over a longer period of time, maybe over a month or a month and a half, what happens is you start to notice that that negative tendency starts to transform into its subtler foundational tendency. Mm. And it really starts to become very interesting. And at the same time, when you complete the practice, so many people that I've done this practice with myself included have decided, oh no, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing this for 90 days. And then they go and work with another negative tendency. But it actually, I feel, helps to bolster our compassion as well. Because we then, when we see another and we have that judgment for that negative thing that they do or that negative way that they are, we understand it a little bit more because we've actually started to dissolve something within ourselves to see the origin and how all the little tentacles and roots start to affect our lives in ways that we hadn't even noticed or thought about. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm definitely keeping on going. I think the magic of this, too, is the way that you introduce it to us. I don't know what the core source practice is, but the way that you introduce it to us makes it very natural and normal to look at these tendencies to, you know, sort of pull them apart without judging and see how human of me to bring that negative tendency forth in this particular conversation that I keep having that I keep not wanting to have, (laughs) you know? Right. So cool. We move on through the book, and it's interesting because each separate practice has some other uh, part. This one has also an element of community care to really think about where the negativity lands in our community and how that has impacted our capacity to be, you know, present and productive and uh, just kind, really. And I really appreciated that bit, too, because sometimes we read books, we do practices, we see, you know, how they play out for ourselves, but we don't really realize how these changing behaviors of ours uh, have impacted negatively in the past and will impact positively in the future. We don't realize it. You say something very important, though, and we're on page 29 in the book. 
When you are changing and leaving behind old habits, you say, show, don't tell. Do your own work and others will notice. I think that's a really incredible and important teaching. No proclamations is how I put it. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that just within the microcosm of my own home, right, is... I previously have been in relationships where it's like, oh, you should be doing yoga. You should be meditating. You should be doing all these same things that I'm doing. And in this relationship that I've been in for the last 15 years, I was like, I'm not going to say a word. (laughs) I'm just going to do my practice. And what I noticed was the kids notice, oh, you're a little bit different after you meditate. You are a little bit more spacious after you practice yoga nidra. And then all of a sudden I get emails and messages about, oh, after my meditation practice this morning, I came up with this really great idea. And it's like, oh, okay. So you just show. And eventually people will start to notice what it is that you're doing and they might ask about it and then you can share. And then you're sharing from a different place of, uh, it feels more generative and less about, I'm going to show you what I'm doing because this is what I think you should be doing too. (laughs) Right. I've certainly found that to be true. I sometimes turn around when I'm meditating in my corner and I see James sitting up on the bed. Mm. So cute. And he actually came with me to sit in the Zendo the other day. Oh, that was great. Yes. Love that. So nice. So we're still discussing part one, which is reclaiming your power, Uh, the five chapters there, that which makes you fall, that which makes you rise, you're not your personality, both of which we've discussed already. We move on to burning the seeds of sorrow, awakening our elemental nature, recollection and reconciliation, all of which are rich, dense, full of really simple and accessible practices. Part two of the book are portals and practices. We have the do list, not to do, but the do list. We have the auspicious mind map, which I'm so, so excited about because I've been really wanting to sit with you and and do this and I haven't had the opportunity. Embracing transition. The ancestors have your back. Dream wisdom. This is one of Tracy's really zones of genius. And finally, uh, you are luminous. We are luminous. I wanted to read those because I think our listener would really enjoy knowing what they're getting into when they open this book. I definitely recommend strongly to have this as one of those resources. I'm going to be sharing it in my newsletter this month as well. Mm. I would love for you to share, Tracy, as we close this interview and let our listener go find the book for themselves. What do you feel if you were to look at these 11 sections in these two parts of the book, what do you feel for right now, this time in our history, on the spectrum of our chronology as humans, what's the most important one mm-hmm. of these 11 sections? I feel like the most important practice that I would point to at this moment mm-hmm. is the do list practice. That is the practice. That practice will transform everything that you are and everything that you do. Our listener, it's on page 81 of the book. 
And I haven't read this yet. I'm really excited to read it. Yeah. I just got the book yesterday. It gets you down to the core truth of who you are and how you want to move in the world very quickly. And I'm very grateful to my dear friend, Charlie Morley, who introduced me to this practice. Oh, wow. That's cool. Hi, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie's great. Awesome. All right, good. I'm going to print out these pages from the ARC and do that over the next days. I know we have a time frame, and I want to say from my deepest part of my Jyoti heart, thank you so much for being my friend. Thank you so much for being one of my teachers. Thank you so much for this beautiful and important book coming out just the right time. Our listener, once again, you can find Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-E, Stanley.com. Any last notes for our listener uh, as they enter into the land of the luminous self? Give yourself grace, offer yourself support and love, and maybe think about sharing this with a friend and having the support of another as you move through these practices. Hmm. Thank you, Tracy Stanley. Yeah, thank you so much. See you very soon. See you soon. I appreciate you. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.